You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Good evening. Welcome along to the Weekend Variety Wireless, the Sunday edition. There is a Saturday edition if you didn't already know about it. And almost everything is available on the website pretty shortly afterwards. We're going with a thing called In Case You Missed Saturday, which has got everything in there. And In Case You Missed Sunday, which has got everything in there. And it's also downloadable as a podcast. So if you've downloaded the program, a special hello from me. Coming up later this evening... Another edition of Jesus, Make It Stop. As we count down to the end of World War One, as at long Jesus merciful last. It took some doing, though. Um, there was a strange thing that happened that Glenn Harper explained to me this week. It was to do with the negotiations for armistice. How do we negotiate the terms? Uh, President Woodrow Wilson said, we're only going to negotiate with a democratically elected leader. And all the big leaders of Germany weren't democratically elected. So what do you do? We want to end this thing. They have agreed 100% with Wilson that they need to deal with democratically elected people finding one presents the Germans with some difficulty. Nobody wants to do it because this is going to be an assured political death. Nobody wants to do it. Not only do they have to find somebody, but the people they ask, everybody is suddenly busy or doesn't want to do it, don't think they can and honestly represent Germany until they settle upon, uh, I think, a tragic figure in some ways. And they find a person called Matthias Erzberger. He's a former teacher. He's a minister without a portfolio since about the end of October. His son has recently died of influenza. His son died of influenza in October 1918, and that basically killed off his political ambition. So he is the man for the job, you know, the right man, the right place, right time. He is democratically elected, so he's basically appointed, and it falls on his shoulders to be the leader of the German delegation to the armistice. Erzberger has this unenviable task. If it wasn't so serious, It'd be hilarious trying to find someone to take this hospital pass. Absolutely, it is a bit farcical and it is a hospital pass because Erzberger is seen to, and is blamed for Germany's loss and there's all this myth about, you know, the stab in the back, that victory's been snatched, you know, away from the German army and Erzberger becomes the target for several assassination attempts by right-wing forces and is actually assassinated in 1921. And just as a sidebar, that his assassins aren't brought to justice until after the Second World War. A fascinating story and much, much more besides what happened this week and on this day, November the 4th. A very big day for New Zealand forces, the very last conflict they would be involved in in World War I at a place called Le Quenoa. And everyone's saying Le Quenoa on the TV and on the radio. I would like to be of small assistance. Um, people do try to pronounce places correctly as long as they're not German. Uh, we all say Munich, don't we? No one says Munchen at all, ever. I do. Because you're Tamar Munchen. Ha-ha, yeah. <laughs> Tamar uh, is here for media It's statement. the curse of having an umlaut on your name in New Zealand. Well, that goes ooh rather than ah, doesn't it? Ooh. 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 Tamar Munch. Yeah. Right, okay. 
There I see I'm bending over backwards to try and pronounce it correctly and get a gold star and look very flash and everything. I know. But this is a I'll answer to mostly anything. <laughs> Most of my life it's been munch, so I just, you know, whatever yeah. works. Good for you. Yeah. Um, this Le Quenois isn't helping anyone, actually, if you're wanting to look it up. It's the correct pronunciation, but if you're wanting to look it up, it's a bit like that, that grain that nobody can pronounce. Quenois. Quenois. Yeah. Well, this That's is... what I thought you were saying. Ah. Now, this is the place, the last battle that New Zealanders were involved in and also British uh, forces were involved in it as well. Uh, Wilfred Owen died on this day in 1918, the great poet. But anyway, to the point... Le Quinoa, L-E, second word, Q-U-E-S-N-O-Y. That's up with Irish spelling, isn't it, for silliness? Le Quiznoy. Le Quiznoy. Le Quiznoy. Might go for Le Quiznoy for the rest of the evening. Yeah. Um, just to help people out if you're wanting to look it up. It's like that fancy, I don't know if you know it, the sparkly, fizzy, non-alcoholic drink out of America which is spelt L-A, new word, C-R-O-I-X. Oh. Should be La Croix. Yeah. No? I mean, I would imagine it is. No, no, La Croix. La Croix. La Croix. They could put a tss at they the end of it. They could put a at the end. Oh, they can do what they like. Yeah, bloody Americans. All righty. Um, so, I hope that helped out. Oh, time for a grievance. This is my grievance number 162. Nine. Last week's grievance, just to remind you, was people who say, oh, that's before my time, as if uh, some reason to shut up and not have an opinion about something. Oh, World War II. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's before my time. Okay. Uh, this week, my grievance is... No, 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 we'll call you back. No, you won't. I bet you won't. Listeners... People present, people in the office that are listening, they're nodding away. Um, that you, you, a mechanic, I'm waiting to get a part for my car to get the car fixed. We'll call you when it arrives. Mm. I wait and wait and wait. No call, no call. Eventually call them up saying, what's up with my car? Oh, it's been sitting here a week and a half. We've been wondering where you are. You said you'd call me back. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we did. No, you didn't. Oh, well, I think Charlene might have uh, texted. Have you got a text? Yes, I have got a text. You said you'd call me back. I haven't got a text. Oh, it's here anyway. Sky TV are running a promo for a show that apparently doesn't exist. I ring up to find out what the program is because my mother is chewing at my ear about it. Uh, I may as well tell you what it is. China Revealed. I ring up. Oh, we'll make an inquiry. What's your number? We'll call you back. <laughs> no, you won't. Oh, yes, we will. Okay, can I call you back? If I, if I don't hear, how long? A couple of days? Would it be a couple of days? Should I worry after that? Shall I call you back if I haven't heard back? Oh, no, no, we'll call you back. They did not call back. I called again, had to go through this entire rigmarole of being transferred to somebody else and then them writing all the details of that. It's on 11.30 on Wednesday nights and the program just doesn't appear. So I have to give all these details again and guess what? Uh, we'll call you back. What's your number? We'll call you back when we find out. And I said, look, I bet you don't. Oh, yes, we will. Warning. 
This happens far too often. Mm. And it's not just those two. I have a list much, much, much longer than that of establishments, businesses, or sometimes even civilians that say, we'll call you back. And they just don't. don't. Our business is doing this well, that they're just so busy and replete with money that they don't care about anything. Doesn't matter if we lose the customer, we've got so many. We won't be able to get you till Christmas. We'll call you back, my grievance number 169, because I think about 50 to 60% of the time, I may, may be being generous there, they simply do not, and maybe a fair percentage of that 60, they never really intend to. I'm waiting on a call back at the moment, right now, from King's Plant Barn. Do you mm. think they will? I'll report. We're on, we'll be on Tintox. It's been two weeks I've been waiting. Oh, no, we'll <gasps> call you back. Two weeks? No, they're, no, they're never calling you back. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, that's like, you know, no, the, the we'll girl that's you. interested in you, she's... She's not calling you back no, after no, two weeks, no, is she? No, 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 exactly. She doesn't want your custom <laughs> either. <laughs> All right, I'll report on We'll Call You Back. Grievance number 169. Next up, we are going media stick with Tamaman. Very good evening. You're tuned in. To Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Baby. Understand. Yeah. You know the poison. Well, singer highs in the south. You're not on Twitter. Basically, it's a route to madness. Al-Qaeda is a lethally dangerous man. Tamar Monk, very good evening. Very good evening to you. I played a little piece from... I know these are repeats on UK TV, but I saw them and I thought they were funny and we're basically just harvesting cherries from the week's media as it happened in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. uh, would I Lie to You, very funny show where comedic contestants say something and is it a lie or is it the truth and they have to question the person they say, is it a lie or is it the truth? They have a guess. And there's this guy who used to be in a band um, and he's now an Anglican minister. It was quite a popular band. I forget what they're called. Um, his name's someone or other, Coles. Was he an Anglican minister when he was in the band? No. Or was that a subsequent career move? Yeah, subsequent career move. He, mm. liked, he liked the smell of indoors and wood. Mm. I think that's what yeah. most of England smells like, And actually. probably just the sound of his own voice. Probably so. But mm. there's something so kind of wishy-washy and dilute about the Anglican belief Mm. Which is probably a good thing. Uh, I don't really know what they believe in at all, if anything. And a lovely little example, just to walk you back to the last time he was on this show, Richard Coles. So, what are you thinking, Lee's team? Uh, Clive, oh, does I, this strike you as true? I don't think it's true, because it, it was the flip-flopping between the accents that I thought was a little bit suspect. Richard, what about you? Well, in a very real sense... What is truth? <laughs> that is the perfect Anglican response. <laughs> and he did another cracker. It's totally self-realised. He knows he's doing it on QI this week. Here he is again. Richard Coles. Come on, Richard. Come on. Go. In first place, aided by a first-class brain and, of course, divine assistance with... 23 points 23. is Richard Coles! <laughs> so, sorry, I'd like to give my points to the poor. Oh. 
<laughs> oh, well, good He's on like him. He's the best media-trained Anglican yeah. bishop that you could ever have. Yeah. 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 He's uh, totally aware of the perception of uh, the vicar. Oh, and just another little bit from uh, QI as well. Because I still maintain it's it's one of the loosest out there shows that would be banned in most other countries. Yeah. Um, so thank goodness for the English ease with eccentricity and and openness in so many ways. It makes the Danes look stuck up. Um, here's a guy called Jack Whitehall who was on QI just last week, and he had a real go at Bono, which I thought, okay, that's worth hearing again. Bono, he does come in for it, doesn't he? Bless him. He did his back in, that's why he couldn't do uh, it though, which is fair enough, because I imagine my back would be pretty sore if I'd spent the last 20 years with my head up my own ass. <laughs> no holding back. You can't see my face that I just made then. Uh -huh. Okay, also from the UK, uh, probably um, the number one country uh, for really good hoaxes. Although the USA does a pretty good job as well, doesn't it? It does. And but these days I think it's coming out of Europe. The hoax is coming out of Europe because America's taking itself far too seriously. So yeah. I think that, um, that England is really going to be the... the probably Australia may become the last bastion of the hoax mm. eventually because yeah. England's probably going to go the, the way of the politi I politically still hold, correct, well, I hope correct for, as well. I hope for Chad. But we'll see oh, how they get on. For Chad and Thad and Brad. And yeah. there's this guy called Uber. You introduced us to him a while ago. He invented a fake restaurant and got it to top of the billings. He did. So this is uh, he's a Vice journalist who uh, yeah I stumbled across him via Vice uh, where he had set up a restaurant and got it listed as the number one restaurant on TripAdvisor and it was basically him serving continental cup of soup out of uh, his backyard. How deconstructionist postmodern. Very much so and you know people got blindfolded and walked up the dodgy alleyway to the back of his sort of squatty flat in somewhere in East London. He has really outdone himself with this because what happened was the world's media caught on to that original hoax. And so, of course, he became this celebrated prankster, journalist, whatever you want to call him, and was being, being called upon by the world's media. And I think, depending on what audio you have... We could just play it, I think. Yeah, I think you can probably just play it because it's pretty self-explanatory. And he... He basically... Played them. ...did it again. Yeah, yeah. It is quite beautiful. Uber is his name, O-O-B-A-H. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's made up or not, but it's not the taxi. Uh, I think he was even before the taxis anyway. Here's the story. It's You can find it online, but this is way, way edited down, but it should tell you. It's two and a half minutes long. Hi, I'm Uber Butler. Last year, I got a fake restaurant in a shed for number one on TripAdvisor in London. I've been endlessly contacted by media from all over the world asking for interviews. It doesn't matter where, like, the interview is from, they asked me the exact same questions. So I decided to send fake versions of myself on TV, radio, and in public for the next six weeks. If it works, this can only be a good thing. And it means that I can spend more time 
I'm nothing. I'm going to host auditions to find these, like, bettered versions of myself. What we're doing here is we're trying to get a platoon of people who will be me at media events. There's something just about to come on the radio that we need to listen to. Seven million people listening. Uber joins me in the studio right now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, it's it sort of started um, from 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 once working and writing fake reviews. Mm. Um, it does make a good review. Thank you so much. Interesting to meet you. <laughs> He'd done so well. I sent him on Indian TV. In fact, getting it for the perspective from Butler himself. I was working, I've been working as a journalist for five years now. Smart Uber absolutely nails it. He basically goes on a tour of Britain as me. So while I was just sat around on my sofa, the whole of Great Britain thinks that I'm a smart guy. The next thing that I get is an invitation to go on Australia's biggest breakfast show. So I decide to go for, like, the closest thing that I can find. And that's my own flesh and blood, my brother. So my brother was about to be interviewed in the same studio with the same presenters on the same show in front of, like, the biggest audience in Australia. And we had done no preparation. He did his first Aussie interview with us last December. So good. And Uber Butler joins us once again from London. Good morning to you. It was actually last year that you infiltrated Fashion Week, but why did you go back to the designer? The identity fluidity that the internet has brought us. I'm not even the same person I, I was a, a year ago. There's something fun there as well. Mm. Oh, great <laughs> losing, fun. losing yourself in it. Uber, a delight to talk to you again. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And that was a glorious, huge, big, fat clue. That's nice that they, he dropped that clue in. I'm not even the person I used to be last year. Literally, you're not. Yeah, it's so smart. But he, so he enlisted his brother. He enlisted some randoms. Like, he, he literally conducted auditions yeah. for people to stand in as himself. He had women auditioning to be him. I mean, this is, and it's really smart hoaxing because mm. he he shines that light back on the crapness of the media <laughs> that they're yeah. not doing their due diligence and they're not actually paying attention and they don't care they just want to book someone who can talk about this thing yeah and he booked people that can talk about it in a way that addressed the you know in, in a way that catered to the the absolute bulge that people wanted to listen to. More than that, these people are interviewing someone because he's a hoaxer. Yeah. And that's where you put in the double check. Yes. Uh, it's it's Ali G on crack. Like it's, yeah, that's true. With, without any great setup. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing it to themselves. It's you pretty know, amazing. As Radiohead said. Yeah. Um, yeah, and another great hoax happened in the USA. Uh, a bunch of academics... Um, Self-professed left-wing academics, I was seeing in an, a YouTube video they did, yes. Right. Bogosian, Peter Bogosian and some of his mates um, wrote papers to feminist and gender studies mm -hmm. um, exposing that... And, and other things, apparently. There's things like fact studies and yeah. all sorts of grievance studies is their um, oeuvre. Mm. Um, I think this is reasonably self-explanatory. They just sent these off to see if they would get published. And we're talking at serious. 
universities, yeah, at institutions. Yeah, this was PhD-level papers, academic papers yeah. that were, you know, research papers being submitted for publication, academic publication through universities that yeah. were not, you know... Write rubbish, see if they would print it. 100%. Here we go. Since approximately June of 2017, I, along with two other concerned academics, Peter Bergoshin and Helen Pluckrose, have been writing intentionally broken academic papers and submitting them to highly respected journals in fields that study gender, race, sexuality, and similar topics. We did this to expose a political corruption that's taken hold of the university. By this point, several of these papers have been accepted in highly respected journals, and one that claims that dog-humping incidents can be taken as evidence of rape culture has been officially honored as excellent scholarship. Oh, I just read my email, we have our first win. The dog park paper has been accepted. Dear Dr. Helen Wilson, <laughs> I have now closely considered the revisions of your manuscript, Dog Park, and, <laughs> and will recommend its publication in Gender, Place, and Culture. You have done very good work to address the issues your viewers raised and have clarified your arguments. Thank you for your contribution to Gender, Place, and Culture, and I hope to be seeing your manuscript in print. Yours truly. PhD managing editor in culture. We have an accepted paper in the number one feminist geography journal. I'm not going to lie to you. We had a lot of fun with this project. The, the reviewers are worried that we didn't respect the dog's privacy. <laughs> That's the concern. We respected the temple. Don't let that lead you to believe that we're not addressing a serious problem. I'll try to explain. To be clear up front, we think studying topics like gender, race, and sexuality is worthwhile, and getting it right is extremely important. The problem is how these topics are being studied right now. A culture has developed in which only certain conclusions are allowed, like those that make whiteness and masculinity problematic. The fields we're concerned about put social grievances ahead of objective truth. So as a simple summary, we call the problem grievance studies. To test the depth of this problem, my collaborators and I dedicated ourselves to a one to two year secret project targeting top grievance studies journals with an agreement to publicly release our findings, no matter what the outcome. Our first papers were really only suited to test the hypothesis that we could penetrate their leading journals with poorly researched hoax papers. That wasn't the case, and we were wrong for thinking we might be able to. So by late November, it looked like all we'd accomplish is ruining our reputations. So you can come up with these really nasty arguments, like well, let's put white kids in chains on the floor at school as an educational opportunity. And if you frame it in terms of overcoming privilege, and then you, you frame their, their resistance, that the, they won't want this to happen to them, that they would complain about this. If you frame that in terms of, oh, they only complain about that because they're privileged and they can't handle it because their privilege made them weak, then it's right in. Papers started getting in. You have got to be me that this happened. By March, with two papers accepted and one published, it would be fair to say that we had become accepted grievance scholars. By June, it was three, with one having been officially honored by the journal as excellent scholarship. By July, it was five. By August, seven. This shouldn't have been possible. What appears beyond dispute is that making absurd and horrible ideas sufficiently politically fashionable can get them validated at the highest levels of academic grievance studies. We rewrote a section of Mein Kampf as intersectional feminism, and this journal has accepted it. Yeah, a section of Mein Kampf. That's the one that really got me. That mm. got me sitting up straight. 
when they read out, I, it was actually the Joe Rogan podcast that I came across uh-huh. these guys having done this stuff, and they read out a section of the rewritten Mein Kampf, which... We've got a bit of that, actually, if you want to hear the Mein yeah, Kampf straight away. And it was a great idea, wasn't it? Get Mein Kampf, swap some words around. And it works, yeah. quote, unquote, in this current climate, yeah. unfortunately. There and it go. worked in an ma- academic sense. Yeah, yeah, we had two, two of them that did Mein Kampf. One of them we just more or less replaced whites, would replace Jews with white men. And you, 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 you literally took Mein Kampf, the actual words from Mein Kampf, yeah. and put it in this paper and replaced the word Jews with the word white men, and they accepted it. Well, we had two papers. I mean, so with that one, what, what we did was we took the whole document on, online and we just searched the word Jew. And we just started picking sentences and paragraphs. At the end, it was something like, if we don't combat whiteness, it's going to be the funeral wreath for mankind. That's yeah. straight out of my account. <laughs> they didn't oh. accept that paper, though, because that paper, turns out, was written from the perspective of a white lesbian who hated her own whiteness. And they said that it was positioning her as a good white. And yeah. because she's making herself out as a good white, again, allyship isn't as all it's cracked up to be. Mm. She should have really been forwarding the ideas of the black scholars that she read way more and not talking about herself so much, even uh, though it was a paper designed to be talking about yeah, herself. Yeah, because that was what Hitler did, so that's what we had to do. Yeah. <laughs> God, now, did they contact you after they retract your article? They go, you're um, wasting our time. We spent hours <laughs> reviewing your papers. We got a couple of pretty bitter responses, but mostly no. Mostly they've kind of put their head in the sand and kind of avoided talking to us. And hoping it goes away. Yeah. This is a huge exposure. I mean, and the thing is that they didn't... Yeah. So, uh, I just... I have nothing. Have you heard about the Sokol Affair? No. Stephen Sokol in 1996, he was a physicist somewhere in New York, mm. um, um, high ranking, and he was sick of all this nonsense talk and f- fluff about stuff that was meaningless. Um, so, he thought he'd write a paper along those lines. And it became very, very famous. He um, published it in 96. Uh, he sent it to 96. He submitted an article to Social Text, an academic journal of postmodern cultural studies. The submission was an experiment to test the journal's intellectual rigor. Uh, okay. Uh, it was basically, it had to A, it, it sound good and B, flatter the editor's ideological preconceptions, mm-hmm. which is pretty much what these people have done. Yes. Um, so he wrote in quantum gravity as a social construct <laughs> that it only exists really because we talk about it. Um, and it was, oh, yeah, just a brilliant piece of work. And they thought it was marvellous. Wow. And they published it. Wow. Which I have more details here. I think I could find some. Um, yeah. No, I can't. I do think things have gone a bit far when you can just repurpose Mein Kampf as a feminist um, academic paper. Yeah. It's problematic. Yeah. People, you know. Sure is. Um, and I think it's, uh, uh, you know, good on the these academics for putting themselves out there because arguably they will be denounced in some way by some oh, yeah, of their peers yeah. by for for um, bringing the, the 
academy into disrepute, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There will be some consequences for them in doing this, but I think that there. There's a big problem in that is, two of them are white males. Yes. Uh, well, and even the third one, there's a white female. I mean, that's yeah. probably problematic in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Sokol's article was transgressing the boundaries towards the transformative hermeneutics of quantum gravity. <laughs> oh, just marvellous. And, yeah, it got published with gold stars everywhere. Marvellous thing. Yeah. All right. Great hoax. Well done for the exposure, I think. Peter Bogosian, who mm. I've always thought was a real straight talker and straight thinker. And apparently there is a documentary in the works which will cover this whole process. Oh, so that lovely. was that little trailer that you played was part of a thing that they're doing to get a bit of funding, I think, for this feature documentary that they're right. putting together. Uh, it sounds very much, and I hope it does in history, be seen as something along the lines of exposing psychics. Yeah, that's right. Which has been done. All right, we'll take a short break. We'll be back and we'll we'll talk the royals. Oh, there's so much royal news. The Hoskins are involved and guess who's back? New Zealand's royals. Guess who's Graham. back? Australia royalty is back. Australian royalty. I'll tell you after the break. That was my best Leighton Smith. The Weekend Variety Wireless. Talkback went nuts this week with the Royals and the parliamentary prayer thing. Uh, Sceptical thoughts uh, with Mark Honeychurch. He was at the protest uh, for the parliamentary prayer trying to get oh. a prayer introduced for the spaghetti monster or something along these lines. He will oh. explain. Uh, and also the moral outrage. We get all our morals from the Ten Commandments, I heard someone say. Um, just look them up, for goodness sake. No, we don't. Uh, but on this sort of thing, the oh, not this sort of thing, the other big subject for the week, the royals. The Do royals. we care? Are we fussing too much? Um, one talkback caller I heard was, Jesus is important to our lives. Uh, the Queen has nothing to do with this country. Oh. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Queen is our head of state. Mm. If you don't like it, do something about it. She's on our money. Jesus isn't. No. Essentially, I am a Republican, I suppose, in the end. But you've got to work at it, and it's not as easy as you, it might appear. It would seem rather grown up and sensible to be a Republican and get rid of the Queen. But what do you do with the Treaty of Waitangi? Because that's with the Crown, Queen, Victoria. Mm. It's out the freaking window. Mm. Okay, we could fix it, but brrr, do you want all that bother? She is our head of state, whether you like it or not. I so, don't mind it. I mean, I just, no, I, don't, I mind don't mind it. It's not it a really for me. doesn't bother me no. at all. It's a figurehead. It whatever. I've got other things to worry about, like will they phone me back? Exactly. And should I call them to see if they're going to phone me back? Because you don't want to fuss. Oh no, we'll, we, you know, we've got your number. We'll call you back. <laughs> anyway. Uh, the royals were here, or some of them, sort of lower order royals. Lower, very low ebb. Or, I mean, celeb, celeb royal. Celeb, yeah, because she's been on telly. That makes the difference. And really, he's eh? also not really that close to the throne. No, but he is. Apparently, there was, yeah. Dai's son, and that's the thing that matters. Well, then that makes him also celeb royal. Yeah. That, like, he's double celeb royal because he's Dai's son first. Yeah. yeah. Then, and probably the world's most famous ginger, arguable. Don't know. Have to think about that one. Robert Redford. Is he ginger? He's like a ginger Kennedy. Suppose. 
Yeah, no, I suppose. Okay. okay. Uh, and then she's like mega famous off the telly. Yeah. If you watch that telly show, which, uh, you know, a lot of people did. That's all right. And then they married, and so now they're cele- celebroil. Yeah. Um, and she's glamorous, and that's nice, and they're sort oh. of young people, and now they're having a baby, so everybody gets very excited about it. Mm. And they were in New Zealand. Because it's the cult of the baby. You're having a baby, that's all it takes, really. It's all it takes. You're pretty, you're young, you're famous, you're having a baby. Climate change is an issue. Let's have more people. More people, that's right. Now, the royals and the earthquake. Look, shall I just play this and you can explain oh. who's this? Some American outlet. <laughs> I mean, I just, no, I literally just, because the American outlets all went nuts. The right. world went nuts. So right. New Zealand had an earthquake, which, you know, okay, some people felt, oh. and I mean, I'm just being a typical Aucklander and I very much apologise for it, absolutely passed me by. Yeah. I had to read about it in the paper. I didn't feel a thing. I still don't have a civil defence kit. Don't hate me. I know I feel terrible every time. You're about to play the thing, but I'm just, this is my confession about not having a bloody emergency cat. I really must get onto that. Anyway, Mm. earthquake, New Zealand. It was a 6.2. That sounds bad by world standards, right? Yeah. By Richter standards. By Richter standards. Richter isn't everything. No, because we know... It's deep down in Taumanui and it's deep under the ground of Taumanui. That was something that, that That's where seemed they, to be the... All those Richters all that far away, you're not going to feel your Richter. Seemed to think. <laughs> yeah, the Richter, Richter mortis. Anyway, uh, America went nuts. Here we go. It's the biggest earthquake to hit New Zealand in two years. Thousands felt the 6.1 magnitude quake, but according to Stuff Co. New Zealand, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, didn't. They were reportedly at a charity event in Auckland and didn't even realize there was an earthquake, including everyone else in the room. According to the Herald, people felt the quake in North and South Island and Wellington, the nation's capital, but not in Auckland. Newsweek reports officials say there is no threat of a tsunami. Also, the civil defense minister reportedly says no reports of injuries or damage. The 6.3 magnitude quake in 2011 was a different story. Nearly 200 people died on South Island. Oh, on South Island. That's always fun when they say that. On South Island. Yeah. Um, Anyway, bless. That was just indicative. I literally just did a Google to find the best news report, and that was the first one that came up. It wasn't necessarily the best, but, but... that's how the world sees us. Mm. I will never forget during the 1984 Olympic Games watching American commentary of what well, we had canoe people. Yes. It wasn't rowers, it was canoey. We were good at that canoes yeah. in those days. Yeah. S- someone mixed someone or other. And yeah, yeah. A Ferguson? There was a Ferguson and a moustache. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a boat. The American commentator says, and these two Kiwis have canoed from village to village to raise funds. <laughs> and I just had this image of, like, hell, is that us, really? <laughs> uh, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We're an obscure, extremely obscure country at the other side of most North of the rest of the world. Island without a the. We're what, even a, a, one of the more obscure countries in the southern hemisphere. Ooh. Ding-a-ling-a-ling. All right, nice gag with playing the Suits theme. Oh, yeah. This was cute. This was the Edge uh, breakfast show, and they got together a brass band and a choir 
to sing the Suits theme song to yeah, Meghan Markle as she walked if along. If this was ever going to happen in the world, of course it was going yeah. to happen here in New Zealand. <laughs> and of course the Edge were going to be the culprits. They decided to enlist the help of a brass band to play the Suits theme song while Meghan and Harry were doing their walk in the viaduct. I can't believe they did this. Brilliant. That car- is awesome. We're currently going viral around the world because of this. Let's have a listen to it. So she's shaking hands while this goes on. She's completely oblivious to all this. Of course she's not. She can hear it. But she's shaking hands and just pretending it doesn't exist. She completely ignores it. She puts on her best act uh, and just does not uh, recognise anything around it. She just decides to keep shaking. Uh, Of course, they were looking for a reaction. Now, I've watched the entire video and there is a slight hint of a grin from Harry. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. See, this plays into my theory that she's just there for the fame and she's she's forgotten where she's come from and oh, she's a bit of a... Anyway, I anyway, I don't have a lot of... Um, no, I've got some opinions about her. Um, but that got picked up all over the world. Uh, Daily Mail, The Sun, Vanity Fair, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, blah, 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 blah. I so, hope it God bless New thing. Zealand. I hope it becomes a thing and it that happens brass everywhere bands, she that's, goes. That's what I thought, because... You could have just looked up and smiled. Come on. And I hope, just because she didn't, I'm being spiteful now, that it happens again. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will... I'm going to start a campaign. They're back. And they're starting on BBC Earth on Sky. They're back. Here they are. It's an amazing place to live. Our alarm clock in the morning are the tigers roaring. At Australia Zoo, it's not just looking at animals, you're right in with them. We work together, live together. I love our animals and I love living here. We're all about carrying on in our dad's footsteps. And now you are gonna be part of the Irwin family. The Irwin's back. Uh, they're in the correct uniform. Does anyone else think there's something creepy about them? Yes. Really seriously creepy, eh? Yeah. It's yeah. the smile that doesn't quite reach the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. The script- Tom Cruise-esque. It, every move is scripted. And yeah. they're at a zoo, and isn't it great? We're actually in the cage. And I'm looking at the panther that he's hugging and going, go on, just have a swipe. Yeah, which is what that stingray did. I think so. All right. Anyway, just thought I'd give you a heads up. <laughs> They're easy to spot in their uniforms as well. Well, supposedly not, but yes, they are. Mm. Because they're blonde and blue-eyed and very cheery and quite loud. Yeah, way cheery. Uh, we've got even more cracking stuff coming up. Don't go anywhere. Uh, the Truth About the truth about videos. Plus some beautiful John Stewart. And if we have some time, oh, Sam Harris's latest podcast is a cracking thing that will be enlightening to many um, about the media in the Trump era. The Weekend Variety Wireless. All right, uh, let's hit John Stewart and Dave Chappelle, which you pointed at uh, today, Tamar. Oh, just because they're both great, and mm-hmm. I love them a lot, and then I saw them on YouTube and they were together. Okay. And I sent it. 
All right. <laughs> this is them being interviewed by Christian Amanpour. Does she actually go foreign corresponding anymore? Like our hero Lise do set in a flat jacket? I don't think she does. Her. I think yeah. she's very kind of, you know, just in the yeah. studio and on the ground. The other ground. one's Ola Guerin. God, she looks like she could do with a sandwich. Yes. Anyway. No, I think Christine is, is a little in the safer zone. I don't know. I might be speaking out of turn, but I feel like she's in the safer zone, especially if she's doing Chappelle and Stewart. Yeah, okay. We should probably pay her juice, but Lisa Dissette is still out there. Taking flack. Okay, here's John Stewart and Dave Chappelle. Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce. His career's going better now. Yeah, his career's going better now. He's having a, a revival. He changed you know, agents. <laughs> but he, people are saying that, you know, the same things that he was satirizing and making, you know, part of his comedy back then are, exist right now. The assault on free speech, the, you know, partitioning of the country along race and religious lines, right. the protest on the streets and in Congress. In, in terms of a resurgence of the country being divided along racial and class lines and gender lines and, and all that. I feel like that's always with us. It's just at times it's maybe bubbles up more explicitly, but even when you don't say it out loud, it still exists. Do you think it is more acute right now? Uh, the division? Yeah. No, man, no. In fact, some of the things they say, even when they say uh, that Russia influenced the election, it's kind of like, is Russia making us racist? <laughs> is, that, is that who's doing it? Oh, okay, I thought it was, oh my God, thank yeah. goodness I thought it was us. <laughs> yeah. Interesting response. Yeah, great response. And two of the smartest, funniest, and I'll say again, smartest men mm. in American media entertainment and John Stewart, I miss. I thought, no, why are you going when Trump's being elected? The, this will is when he, you would be at your best. But it has killed comedy, I think, because Trump night doesn't need. It, you can't satire something that's better than satire. No, he Trump, would have been doing the same joke every night, which yeah. is what these other guys are doing. Yeah. and actually, he's better than that. Yeah, and I think as well, Chappelle, uh, having watched the, la the last couple of his specials, on the, they were on Netflix and. He is also smarter than that, and he does comedy that is outside of that. And mm. I think that it's a very easy trope to play these I'm, days. Yeah, yeah. Look, I loathe Trump, but I love comedy. Yeah. And he does a whole lot of weird things during the day, and the late-night talk shows, John they Oliver and all the, the others, they, they say... Do, they just do the shtick of Trump. What's that? How could you say that? Yeah. Dude, we know. Yeah, it's basically it's that's the news now. Yeah. You know, you're actually not doing comedy, you're doing the news, which yeah. is kind of tedious. Oh, this is outrageous. It's like, insert funny thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, now, Sam Harris's latest podcast, you can find it. Just look up Sam Harris Podcast, or it's on YouTube as well. Uh, he does good stuff. This is a Rolling Stone journalist called Matt Tybee, and he's been around a while, and... I listened to it and went, oh, my goodness, thank you so much for the insight. And he seems a very level-headed cat as well. Yeah, which is sort of on that buzz, really, isn't it, yeah. of, of all things Trumpian. Yeah. Okay, we'll get what we can of this in before the top of the hour. Uh, in big media, there's there's pro-Trump media and there's there's anti-Trump media, and we basically market those two brands. It's very difficult to write about anything else. I mean, I've had I've really struggled with it. It's very hard to market your work if you don't have an overt Trump angle on it. It's becoming more and more pronounced 
I think, by the minute, and that's that's difficult. We were turning the electoral process into a reality show. We were making it more and more vacuous with each progressive cycle. The media was celebrating its role as judges in a kind of beauty pageant. You know, we had all these terms and code words that we used to identify people who we thought were appropriate presidential candidates. So if you saw somebody described as pointed in a campaign story, that was a bad sign. That was the press's way of saying that this person is going to be offensive or difficult for middle America to swallow. If we used the word nuance, that was a good word. We know we invented all of these little ridiculous reality shows sort of events. Which one's the most tough on defense? Which one is the most, uh, is the warmest? The vacuousness of it, I think, I started to notice, I think, in the Romney-Obama election that people were just really impatient with that kind of coverage. Yeah, mm. and there's much more besides. There's about an hour and a bit yeah. of it. It was a really smart interview. He's non-partisan. He's thoroughly non-partisan, yeah. but he's exasperated with being stuck in this non-click middle mm. because he's not anti-Trump and he's not pro. Dear the oh dear. Um, midterm election coverage will be interesting this week, yeah, I think. Yeah, it really will. Oh, uh, the term Jacinda Mania was coined for such occasions as these. Of course, the Labour Party conference was bound to happen, but really, really? Someone mentioned yesterday this is the biggest change since Michael Joseph Savage came to power in the 30s, and we feel that. Uh, I don't think it is the biggest change since Michael Joseph Savage in the 1930s. That was a hell of a big change. The biggest since then, I'm thinking David Longy, anti-nuclear, mm. thinking uh, Helen Clark, uh, sex worker reform, uh, Department of Conservation, Norman Kurt, superannuation. Uh, could, we could go on. But people do get excited. But turn it up. <laughs> really. Short memories, eh? Yeah, really short memories. Um, also this... Europe's three major powers have now come together to condemn the killing in the strongest possible terms. Their joint statement says, The threatening, attacking or killing of journalists under any circumstances is unacceptable and of utmost concern to our three nations. Thank you very much. I printed out a list of the Turkish journalists who've been jailed for and are still in jail or are dead now for writing stuff. It looks to be six pages it is six in small pages. text Gulshan listed. Gulshan Erdogan, oh, same name, Gulshan Ashland. I could just read them out for the next half an hour. Yeah. So, come on, how does Turkey get away with it? I'm sick of this happening. All right, we've got time, I think, for the New Zealand accent of the week. It is from Stewart Island. Tourists hopeful for the dark skies. We've just installed some new street lighting along by the school there, which are bollard type, and they don't cause any light pollution. Good one. Tama thank you very much. Thank you.